Hello, and welcome to this DerivSource podcast. I'm Julia Schieffer, the founder and editor of DerivSource.com. The digitalization of post-trade processing has accelerated in recent years, driven by the rise of newer technologies like AI and DLT, as well as the increase in remote working because of the ongoing pandemic. However, the primary drivers remain the same to automate processes, increase efficiency, and support innovations such as tokenization and digital assets as they arise. In this podcast, which is episode one of our post-trade digitalization podcast series, we are looking at the top trends driving the evolution of post-trade processing today and what might revolutionize this space in the coming months and years from a digital perspective. Joining me today are three industry experts, Matthias Volkel, partner, and Stefan Schorsch, associate partner at global management consultancy firm McKinsey & Co. Also, Gordon Russell, head of Asia for Torstone Technology, an SAS platform for post-trade securities and derivatives processing. Torstone Technology is this podcast series sponsor. Welcome all. Thank you very much for having me today. Thank you. Great to be here today. Great. Thanks very much, Steve, for taking the time today. So can you all introduce yourself individually, starting with you, Matthias, please? Sure. Matthias Perkel, partner with McKinsey. And I lead uh, McKinsey's work in capital markets infrastructure and security services. Yeah, my name is uh, Stefan Stefan Trosch. I'm an associate partner with McKinsey and Company based out of Zurich. I've uh, specialized in advising and supporting capital market infrastructure and sales clients. I'm Gordon Russell, head of Torstone Technology in Asia Pacific, responsible for both the business development and our existing customers in the region. Digitalization for post-trade is not new, but let's frame the definition first. Stefan, how would you define digitalization? What's what's your definition? Yeah, you're right. Uh, digitalization certainly is not a new trend. I think it started really with the electronification of trading years ago. And then the question arises, why would we turn something that is already digital and electronic back into paper-based forms? Now, I think... Uh, definition really applies to the entire industry, but in a broad context, specifically to the different segments. So it is probably a different challenge for sell-side banks. It is a different challenge for buy-side asset managers and the traditional buy-side, and also the capital market and infrastructure providers that quite naturally have a very high interest in digitizing and proving their scalability. Building on what Stefan said, I think there is one important differentiation to make. And that is, there is, if you will, classic digitization, electronification and trading, all the things we associate with when it comes to digitization of processes. And then there is new digitization, if you will, and that centers around tokenization, DLT, so the blockchain technology. And this new digitization goes beyond just capturing efficiency gains. This is also a whole new world or universe emerging when it comes to tokenization. So tokenized assets will not be in the same universe as classic digital assets. They will be based on a blockchain. And also the infrastructure around these assets will be new. 
Yes, thanks, Matthias. Those are great points. I certainly think as far as digitalisation in the capital markets is concerned, we're seeing a wider adoption. The capital markets have been watching the retail side of the finance industry for some number of years, leveraging digitalisation to take the economies of scale that Stefan was talking about and take the cost benefits. I think you're also now touching upon some really interesting areas around tokenization and how capital markets organisations are looking to use this technology to solve some of the problems they have and their evolving business models. So we're seeing a much bigger uptake in terms of leveraging digitalization in capital markets models. We're seeing a much bigger understanding of how they're used within banks and security houses and the buy side, who are all coming together to see how they can leverage this and enhance business models to improve profitability and efficiency that they're working with today. We've already touched somewhat on the drivers behind a digital transformation project for a financial firm, such as economies of scale, for instance. Focusing on this a little bit more, what are the most important drivers behind a firm's decision to actively digitalize elements of their post-trade processes? Very good. If I may take this one. The cost element that we mentioned before is probably a very prominent driver, to be fair. I think for the traditional buy side, for example, there's a heavy pressure from the trend and move towards passive products and the margin compression that goes ahead with it, that you need to improve your efficiency in order just to preserve your own profitability. I think similarly, probably also for the sell side, there's a lot of margin pressure. I think we mentioned before the valuation of a lot of the capital markets infrastructure providers Proving scalability is important, and all of that is basically a cost game. The other important angle, of course, is also compliance, that a digital process is uh, usually much more resilient and not so easily subject to people errors. And then finally, I think probably the nicer aspect of digitalization is also the enablement of new services that was mentioned before, entire new products, entire client interaction models that simply were not possible in the past. I think whilst there's clear drivers, certainly many that Stefan's mentioned for why the capital markets are embracing this, we know the capital market space also doesn't like to be at the bleeding edge of technology. Um, It likes to be able to have seen the situation, had other organisations or other industries try these out and make sure that they've ironed out some of the, the, the problems. There are now more people who understand it and therefore there are more people who can understand how to adopt it and how to adopt it within capital markets. So I think seeing the consumer side of digitalization is now becoming more day-to-day. Capital markets are now looking to leverage that and understand how they can deal with it in in a variety of uh, manners. As well as regulators better understanding the, the space and how it can be applied. I think all of this is coming together now to create some focus to making this a reality, I suppose, within the, the more traditional and conservative capital market space. I understand all the general drivers mentioned, but we have seen a significant shift this year with the pandemic. And frankly, I would be remiss not to ask if this pandemic and largely having workforces work remotely, if this has impacted the drivers or pushed digital transformation plans to the top of firms' to-do lists. What's the view on this? Matthias, what's your view? Great question, Julia. I think it hasn't changed these drivers. Actually, I think uh, the trend towards digitization has been even accelerated by the the crisis and also the the following implications and what was going on in capital markets. First of all, I think the industry has shown remarkable resilience. Platforms are stable, 
significant loads could be processed. I think also regulators looked at the entire or are looking at the entire industry quite favorably when it comes to business continuity, when it comes to risk management. That is something very positive. So then we have the very practical effects. Teams learn to work together across geographies. Firms realize that remote work settings actually do function. Of course, you have to take care of certain kind of security concerns and the likes, but overall, the industry has done a very good job. And I think this, if not remote, but then hybrid working model is here to stay at least in parts of the industry. And also, in my observation, some of these firms operating globally, they have grown closer together because now the exchange is virtual and it is on the same level, independent of whether you're in the US, in Europe, or in Asia. So that's also something positive. On the other hand, also to mention that, of course, it needs to be managed day to day. People sitting just in front of a screen, zooming in, zooming out, that is also at some point tiresome. So hence, I and we believe we'll move to a hybrid model going forward. And let me ask one point, which I think is also important. Crisis has also been a catalyst when it comes to structural changes in the industry, for instance, in banks, but also the buy side. And firms are much more open to take structural measures when it comes to efficiency and cost reduction. And structural measures almost always entail embracing new technologies, be it cloud, be it automation, be it digitization of processes. So the crisis has been a catalyst for the adoption of these new digital, if you will, technologies. Yes, thanks again, Matthias. I think there's some great points. I think the whole crisis slash current situation has forced a lot of preconceived ideas and scariness about moving to remote working, removing traditional barriers to being able to clear and settle and trade from home, both from a regulatory point of view and from a business point of view and an infrastructure point of view. Until we had this year, many senior executives and businesses and, and regulators would never have let this happen or even think it was possible. And now we have regulators and businesses pushing the forefront of what should be adopted in this new digital age. With increased volumes uh, we've been seeing this year because of a number of events, very few institutions falling over, it means that the move to a more digital, remote approach within the capital market space is becoming more accepted. And it means that people are investing more in technology. It means that the flexible approach to how people are working, both remotely and, and with technology and their colleagues, counterparties and regulators, but, you know, sometimes the mother invention is hardship. And this year, we've certainly had to be more inventive and adopt things quicker than potentially we, we may have done. So it's no going back to the, the old ways, as Matthias said. It's a hybrid model going forward. It's just a matter of defining what that hybrid is. I don't know what you're thinking, Stefan, whether that's the sort of thing that um, you're hearing and, and, and getting from people. Yeah, I would agree. I think post-trade, however, is this one area where relationships not only within a company, but especially between market participants is really important. I think what we've seen is that a lot of the institutions can work off the existing relationships. What we also experience, I think forming new relationships in a purely remote setup is difficult. So I think getting the new networks digitalization up and running outside of the established is really 
a challenge. So I think we're also probably looking really forward to say some end to the crisis in terms of free enabling, getting to meet at least in the first time to set up the initial and then from there on, probably it will be much more digital. And I fully agree to this. Excellent points. The benefits for a digitalization strategy for post-trade operations are are pretty obvious given the drivers behind such initiatives and the classic and newer digitalization trends at play. Gordon, how do you see digitalization evolving amongst your buy side clients and the infrastructure and service providers that support them? Again, it goes back to that breaking down traditional thought process and barriers from a buy side point of view, whether we're talking a traditional asset manager or insurance or some of the hedge fund customers that we are looking at now. What is the value proposition as an organization? What do they need to have within their organization that makes their business unique and therefore obviously creates the value to clients? And through the pandemic, we've seen a lot of organizers thinking, what can I outsource? What can I give to a third party? What is not unique in the way that I operate my business? And so we're seeing organizations look to cooperate about the sharing of technology, working with their third parties, be it prime brokers, custodians, uh, technology providers in their fund admins, and looking and trying to slim down their organizations so they can focus more on what makes them unique. These conversations aren't new. I mean, we've been talking about this for, for some years in the industry and how can we move to this state. It's just an unfortunate catalyst this year that's accelerated all of that to make it faster for, for organisations to adopt new types of technology, new uh, ways of thinking, and the way that they manage the business, the costs that are associated with managing their businesses. What are the costs that they can outsource to a third party? What do they need to invest in themselves and how can they look at the, a new digital approach in, in their business and technology ecosystem? These are great um, points, Gordon. And the way our clients think about it is something a strategic differentiator. So for instance, in high frequency trading technology is, or is it not? And large parts of post-trade operations are usually not. And if something falls in the latter category, exactly, they think of industry utilities, outsourcing, etc. I think the industry has really now matured and following actually the examples of other industries, which think very closely about where is actually value created and where is something where a utility, a supplier, a technology provider, a BPO provider is better set up to perform the respective task. With every revolution comes risk. And despite the benefits that we've outlined already, cyber risk is one example of a risk that's on the rise as a consequence of digitalization. Stefan, how do you see the industry looking to address emerging risks such as cybersecurity at this stage? That's a very good question. I think in line with the digitalization, of course, those risks get more prominent. They also move up on the list uh, for regulators what they look at. In the first place, but probably a first nuance, I think um, a lot of really professional capital market infrastructure so far have been mostly secured also by firewalls and closed networks. There was uh, this belief in the beginning when DLT emerged that now all the networks will be open and public. I think this is not so true. When you talk to a lot of, say, buy side, sell side or infrastructure provider clients, they actually envision that a lot of that will stay on permissioned or even closed networks. And so I think in that aspect, there's like a ring fencing move. But certainly we also see that uh, all the institutions continue to invest into cyber capabilities, into defense mechanisms, into 
being much more aware of defending those risks. I think a particular element probably then if you mention smart contracts and DLT is also then controlling what those contracts automatically executed at some point will do. I think we have seen in the non-regulated space some concerning elements happening. So typical fraudulent cases around the ICOs of the world. I think this is also now much more maturing and hopefully we will see the first large post-trade processing platforms making use of smart contracts as a means of a very efficient way of decentral handling of uh, security operations. The industry is clearly ready and already gearing up for digitalization. But on a practical level for post-trade operations, what are the key elements of such a strategy? And are they viewed as being evolutionary or revolutionary? Good question. So, I mean, I think we have seen that uh, there's no typically hard step change happening. I think uh, given also by the fact that this industry is a network industry, adoption kind of prohibiting that we see these massive steps that I don't know, you would have seen in the classic example of Blockbuster disappearing and Netflix is there. This is not going to happen, I think, in the securities post-trade space. Certainly, however, a lot of both from technology availability, regulatory acceptance, client acceptance, things are happening. Certainly, we see the first providers move to the cloud, have actually post-trade as a service type of offerings establishing. We see a lot of processes now being fully digitized. We see cognitive agents performing also legal contract, natural language type of processing operations that we did not believe would be possible 10 years ago. So I think that aspects are accelerating quite a lot, but still, I think it is more of a continuous journey where all the market participants deploy solution after solution, use case after use case. Certainly players have big visions. But it's not that this is a cliff that we would jump off and then the world would look entirely different. Yes, I think that's exactly right, Stefan. I think revolution in the capital market space when it comes to technology, digitalization, asset creation and management is always going to be closely scrutinized by regulators and market infrastructure. I think the retail side of things where we've absolutely seen technology moving fast and the adoption of it being picked up quicker we may not see that within the capital market space, but we have seen an, up, an uptick in that, as we've discussed earlier, due to the, the, the current situation. But Stefan mentioned some of the, the ICOs and initial coin offerings have been absolutely fortunate to have, have come along. And you've seen the SEC and the US focusing around how they can legislate these new digital areas within the economy and, and making sure that there is, is trust and transparency around how they're doing it so that they're is not the the boom and bust that we've potentially seen in in the retail side. Here we're now looking much more around how capital markets can create sustainability around some of the digitalization and and, and tokenization that has come into the market. Institutions have a, have a duty of care to protect their their customers, and market infrastructure and regulators have a duty of care to police the industry and make sure end users, institutions have the infrastructure that they're looking for so that this can move forward with greater pace. And I think that adoption of thinking now has certainly increased so that we should now see the pace pick up within the capital market space. 
So the protection is even more paramount because, you know, the size of money we're talking about and the systemic risks of someone getting inside an institutional network and breaching it is much bigger than me simply losing my Bitcoin and or it getting stolen, which is tragic, admittedly. And I'm sure uh, we've seen instances where, where this has happened. But given the interconnectability of, uh, and the interoperability of the global financial markets, regulators and market providers must make sure that the system is very robust. So I think this will lead to a more evolutionary approach to bringing post-trade into a harmonised situation where economies of scale can benefit all participants. Speed being able to offer more instruments in the market is going to be hugely important and the technology needs to be able to support these for the new digital assets be it cryptocurrency or tokenization alongside traditional assets, as well as central books of records, the regulator can have oversight and transparency of what is happening so that we get that length of sustainability and we get that robustness that is required within the financial services market. So it's not as revolutionary as we've seen on the retail side. I think it's certainly evolutionary. And I think we're now seeing, uh, as we've said before, a situation where we're not going to go back and we're picking up the pace with more people understanding the space and therefore people looking to move quicker and quicker to take the, the, the benefits that are on offer. It certainly helps as well when you've got big industry names like Goldman Sachs, Nomura, Mizuho, you know, regulators around the world spending more time and focusing on, on this area. It sort of legitimizes it a little bit. So as we see that happening, I think that's going to also speed up the, the adoption and we're going to see people looking to become early adopters. We're going to see people looking to, to find out what is the first thing they can do that, that gives them experience and understanding of the space without necessarily yeah, committing everything that, that they would want to. Let me maybe um, build on this evolutionary versus revolutionary. I fully agree with you, Gordon. I mean, the core classic capital market security services, we're, we're seeing an evolution. And by the way, an evolution where it is very clear that there is not this one app bot technology that is the silver bullet. Okay, so even if you apply very modern technologies, Stefan, you've mentioned a couple around automation and robotics. Actually, a step change in efficiency will only come if you also pull other levers. So you simplify your processes, you think very carefully around demand, is that really required? And you also you also need to look at your workforce planning and how to actually set up work. So the, the roles of people active in post-trade in the industries will be changing. Less repetitive tasks, more monitoring, constant learning, etc. So that also requires some management capabilities to move organizations ahead. So that is the evolutionary part. Now, when it comes to revolution, of course, If we're talking about tokenization, those assets that are being tokenized, they enter a new world, right? With less institutions active in the process. If you think of the current landscape, custodian, sub-custodian, paying agent, transfer agent, CSDs and the likes, in the new world, there will probably be fewer of them. And Processes will be automated because it will be the contracts will execute themselves. So the tokenization is the entry gate to a new universe. And that would be revolutionary. The question is here more the adoption rate. I think there has been a lot of enthusiasm when it comes to 
the industry will move to tokenization very soon. Now there is more realism. On the other hand, we see it happen. We see it happen in certain less liquid asset classes around uh, fixed income, structured products. We also see it happen in assets that have not been financial assets before, but now become, if you will, financial assets, uh, like real estate or art, for instance. What is happening there is a revolution, albeit small still, but in its impact on the small asset universe for now, revolutionary. With all this talk about revolution, Matthias, how might job profiles and post-trade operations and technology change as a result? So thinking of these role profiles and job profiles and how they emerge, I would actually look at it as a potential upside because you could look at it in the sense of people are being made redundant. But I think the better way to look at it is repetitive tasks are going away and more value-add tasks when it comes to managing teams, programming the robots, thinking smart around process, and actually also having more time for client service. And that, I think, is a better way to look at it, to embrace this change, which can also have very positive implications when it comes to the workforce and also, I think, job satisfaction. This is not something, however, which goes unmanaged. Organizations need to manage it. I think that's an excellent point to end on. Thank you, Matthias. And thank you to all of our speakers for sharing your insight and your views on this timely topic with our audience. To our listeners, we hope that you have enjoyed this podcast on post-trade digitalization. A transcript can be found on the show notes page on derivesource.com. But please do stay tuned for further episodes where we take a deeper dive into the newer technologies and we also offer a practical look at a digital transformation project. If you have any comments or questions, please feel free to send them to us at editor at derivesource.com. We welcome your feedback and we hope you enjoyed today. Thank you for listening. Join us next time.